thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. I'm excited about today's lesson. Uh, I was going to um, kind of do some of this last week, and, and some other things kind of came into mind and that we wanted to talk about, but I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the idea of time, um, or maybe more importantly, as we think about today's lesson, about the idea of what happens when time runs out. What happens when time runs out? Let me, let me ask you this as we kind of get started and then thinking you know, into the direction of our sermon. How many of you wear a watch? Raise your hands if you wear a watch. How many times a day do you look at your watch? Do you figure? Let me ask you this. How many times or how many of you would feel lost in your day without your watch? Okay, your, your day would feel kind of off. Now, how many of you, how many of you um, maybe used to wear a watch, but you don't anymore because you always have your phone with you and your phone tells you what time it is? So if you have a phone... Um, or, or a watch, you always have the ability to know what time it is. And that can be a blessing and that can be a curse because our lives are very much scheduled and judged by time. How much time do I have left to do this? How much time do I need to make this happen? Do I have enough time to get this accomplished before this has to happen? Or I don't have enough time to do anything that I want to do. I have to do everything that everyone else wants to, you know, so time very much kind of judges our, our life and, and, and our schedules. How, how many of you get stressed when you have something that there's a deadline to and that deadline's approaching and you realize you're almost out of time? How, how many of you get stressed in those moments? Oh my, like, I have a buddy that told me that he goes, if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute. And I, I'm not really sure how that works. Um, uh, I remember when, when I was at school and I was at Fried Hardeman, I had I had written this big, long research paper, and uh, this was back before computers, you know, like auto-saved stuff. I know some the generations younger than me, you know, you don't realize the blessings of, you know, cloud storage and all of this stuff. You know, we had to turn papers in on, on hard disk. This was before... Um, and, and some of you are like, well, I didn't even have a computer at college. Or, well, but I remember that I went to print my, my research paper that I'd written for this class, and my computer crashed. And it wasn't saved anywhere. And I had to redo that research paper that night before class the next morning. Um, and I assure you, it took more than a minute to get it done. But it was a very stressful thing because I'm like, I had a deadline and it was fastly approaching and I had to get it done. And, um, of, of, you know, the majority of school, I didn't really take that serious at that time, which was a, a me problem, but my Bible classes, I was real interested in. So I put a lot of effort into those. And, um, I was, I had to finish this before that moment got there, but we, we do, we have this, this, this stress about time. Now, Think about that from a spiritual sense and just think for a moment. Can you imagine the idea that there will be a time where time stops? Just think about that for a second. That, that sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it? That there will be a time when time stops. And, and, and what is that preceded by? What, what moment happens that stop, that's going to just stop time? What moment is that going to be? 
death. What else? I guess two moments. That's true. Do what? Judgment day. The coming of Jesus. We, we, just, we just sang about it. That there is going to come a time where Jesus is going to return. And, and time, as far as we comprehend it, will cease, or cease to exist. It will be over. It will be done with. And, and our whole life that we've, we've worried about it and we've stressed about it and, and all of these different things, that moment is going to change everything that we know, everything that we do, every way we behave, everything about what is normal to us will change in that moment. So I believe it's important for us to think about the idea of what happens when that moment comes. Now, we have spent uh, several months and a few weeks now talking about Jesus, talking about living a Jesus life, okay? We've talked about our identity in the first few chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Last week, we talked about the idea of of my identity for the first time uh, being that of a Christian. We talked about the process of that. And the reason that we've done all of that... It's because of this. Every chapter of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians mentions the second coming of Jesus. It's an important subject because uh, it reminds us of the urgency of discipling each other. The time is short and we must live with the end in view. Read that last statement out loud with me. We must live with the what? End in view. There is coming a time that we are going to run out of time. How many of you think about that on a daily basis? How many of you think about the day that time ends? How many of you think about your life with the end in view? You know, your perspective becomes your reality. When you think about something in a certain way and you think about a moment in a certain way, it very much determines how you live and how you focus and where you go. As a church, we need to be a church that understands and, fo- that understands and focuses on the idea that the time to act with urgency is now. The time to act with urgency in spreading the word of God is now. The time to act with urgency to disciple one another is now. The time to act with urgency in love and patience and grace with each other is now. Because we must live with the end in view. But, like I said, I've been kind of working on this lesson really and truly for about three weeks. Okay? I, I, the, the, the beginnings of this lesson kind of started as I was driving on vacation a couple of weeks ago. So I've been thinking about this idea for some time. And, and, I, and I think that we, if we're not careful, okay, I'm not saying that we're all this way. But if we're not careful, we have a very watered down, watered down is not really the right word, but we have a very simplistic view of, of the end of time. We have this idea of Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to go to heaven and it's all going to be great, okay? Um, or, or even if we're not here for that, we have this idea that we're going to die and we're, we're going to die and then we're going to spend eternity with he- in, in heaven with Jesus if we're a Christian. And, and that's kind of... That's kind of a very simplistic view that, that Scripture talks about the end uh, in, in, in a lot of depth and in, in some different places in different ways. And, and I think that it's been one of those things that we've just kind of simplified to make it easy to digest because we don't want it to be scary or, or this, that, and the other. Um, but this morning, as we open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, we kind of see the purpose of a lot of what 
Paul has written about. Because he's saying, I want you to act this way. I want you to be this way. I want your identity to be this way because I want you to live with the end in view. And he talks about the end. And so what I want us to do together for a few moments is I want us to talk about from Paul's writing in this particular passage what the end is what that moment's going to be, and then kind of what we do with that as Christians. So, so let's begin. Let's begin with this first idea. The world will end with the resurrection of the dead, okay? That's the first idea that I want you to think about with me this morning, that the world will end <coughs> with the resurrection of the dead. In particular, the coming resurrection is guaranteed by Christ's resurrection. Let's, let's look at the first so look at the first passage here, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 15. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This is a, a very important start to this whole idea, because he says, I want you to know something, that as you think about what's coming, as you think about a time when time ends, it should not bring fear. It should not bring anxiety. If you are a child of God, it should bring what? What's the last word there? Everybody say it together. What's the last word there? Hope. It should bring a security. It should bring an anticipation. It should bring this idea that everything's going to be okay. And the reason it's going to be okay, he says, is for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. But go back to verse 14. He says, you can be assured of your resurrection, of your safety, of your guarantee of salvation, and the fact that when time ends, you will spend the rest of eternity with God. Why? Because we can be assured that Jesus died and rose again. And that brings hope. That brings assurance. That brings this idea that I don't have to be afraid of what's happening. I don't have to be afraid of this moment. I don't have to be scared of this moment as a child of God because I have this hope in Jesus who has already defeated death, who has already overcome death, and my hope and my assurance lies with him. And I can take that and I can have security in that. But we go on to the next idea here. Okay, we're just going to kind of break down this passage a little bit. So first off, the coming resurrection is guaranteed by Jesus. But here is, here is maybe my favorite part of this section, okay? Jesus will appear with a loud shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. Let's look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So that's, that's the very first part of this verse 16. And I want you to just kind of look at this verse for a moment and read this verse. And just kind of let this verse kind of settle in your soul for just a moment. There have been times in our brotherhood and in our history that the return of Jesus has been used as a, as, as a scare tactic, as, as a fear tactic of scaring people into salvation. And I understand urgency. I do. I do. I understand urgency, but, but I believe that using that moment in fear is, is a misrepresentation of what Paul is teaching because he says this moment should bring hope, okay? It should be an assurance. 
And so because of that, I think that there have been times in our lives that we have been fearful of being here when Jesus comes back. Of being fearful of being here when Jesus comes back because it's going to be this scary moment. And what in the world are we going to do? You know, and, and, and you've heard me say this before. The older I get, the older I get, I kind of want to be here. I don't want to have gone on and have died and have passed away because I want to see this with my own eyes. I want to see Jesus come back. I want to experience this. I want to see Jesus himself come down from heaven. I want to hear a loud command from an archangel. I want to hear the trumpet call of God. This, this, side, this, this trumpet call, there are three or well, two really main trumpets that are used in Scripture. One um, that, that, that you talk about and that you see and that, that's mentioned, uh, one is the, this, um, this long brass trumpet, okay, that would have been used uh, especially into the New Testament times uh, during, during maybe some of the temple worship. Uh, but especially as you think about the angels, you think of, of the, these long brass uh, trumpets that would have been used as, as battle cry trumpets and as announcing trumpets of kings and royalty. But if you back up into, uh, into the Old Testament, you see uh, what's called the shofar. And it was a ram's horn trumpet. And it was used for a lot of different things, but mainly it was mainly used for a battle cry of, of victory on the battlefield. It was the same trumpets that would have been used as the Israelites were marching around Jericho. It would have been... Um, the trumpets that you see used in different battles throughout, throughout Scripture. And it is a, a very, um, it has, it, it, with the right person, it has a very haunting sound, but yet a very unique sound. Um, and and, and I, was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, uh, I encourage you to look it up and, and, and listen to some recordings of this thing, because I was thinking about, what would happen in, in, in your life? What thoughts would go through your mind if you were in the middle of an argument? You were in the middle of an argument, and all of a sudden you hear the trumpet call of God. What happens if you're in the middle of, of something that you, like, I mean, like, you don't need to be there. You don't need to be doing this. And you hear that trumpet call of God ring over the earth. How, how, how is that going to get your attention? How is that going to affect you? But then the flip side of that, of what if we're sitting here right now and in the next 10 minutes we hear the trumpet call of God and we have a moment where we know that this is it but the greatness of having that time hearing the trumpet call of God in such a spiritual way with one another how much hope does that bring how exciting is that something that that maybe some people are fearful of but something that should bring hope to us in our life. The next thing is Christians will rise from the dead to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rest of verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And that's something that people have issue with and have trouble understanding because to us, death is so final, isn't it? Death is so final. The bodies that we live in right now, once, once life leaves them, they deteriorate. They, they, they no longer exist. And, and I don't know how but some way, somehow, at the resurrection, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit is going to find whatever particles he needs, whatever atoms he needs to, to bring our life and our being back into us. We will be raised with a new body. 
As he talks about in 1 Corinthians, we will be raised, the dead in Christ will be raised first. And that, that sounds like such a foreign idea to some people. It's not a foreign idea to Scripture. In, in the book of Matthew, matter of fact, I'll flip there real quick. I just want to read it to you because I think that there was probably a shock factor here. But in the book of Matthew, verse 27, this is after Jesus has died. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, they think he's calling to Elijah, verse 50. And when he cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is verse, chapter 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The resurrection is going to be an amazing thing. It's going to be something that only God can accomplish. But those who have already passed on, they're going to be raised first. They're going to come out of the grave. I don't know exactly how God's going to do that, but I know he's going to do it. And it's going to be an amazing thing. And then the last thing is those who are still alive will join him. Verses uh, 17 through 18. After that, uh, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Now listen to verse 18, because we're going to come back to this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, circle that. We're going to circle back around to it. So, what do we, what do we take from this? And he's going to go on and explain. The world will end unexpectedly, so live prepared. The world will, live un, or will end unexpectedly, so live prepared. Prepared. So the first thing I want you to think about is the timing of his return is unknown to us. If we keep rolling to chapter 5, he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Um, every few years, someone comes out and they say, Hey, I've calculated this and that, and I've decided that God's coming back on this day, and then he doesn't come back, and and they got to kind of revise their numbers. Oh, no, he's going to come back this day. And this is just my opinion, okay? This is just my opinion. If there's ever a big day that someone has really hopped up and said, God's coming back on this day, my guess is God's probably not going to send Jesus back that day just because he's not going to allow them to be right. Why do you think that? Like, you know, the God just thinks, I'm not going to let you figure this out. That's just Matthew's opinion. But here's, the, here, here's maybe the most important thing. Many will not be ready. Many will not be ready. Look at this next section here. He says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Let's just stop right there. I, I like the illustration that he uses right here because I can really, in my own life, I understand this. Okay, I understand this. Um, He's saying life's going to be like birth, or, or death, the coming of Jesus, is going to be like birth. Not that I've ever given birth. I don't understand it from that perspective. But what I do understand is um, on September 23rd, is that her birthday, Blair? Collins, 23rd, right? I've got birthdays on the 21st, 23rd, and the 27th, and I never can remember which kid. I can get their month, but those three days. On September 23rd in 2010, Blair and I had a doctor's appointment. Blair had a doctor's appointment. I was going with her to, the, uh, to our baby doctor. 
And every doctor's appointment beforehand had gone like this. We go to the doctor. We go through the morning at the doctor's office, do whatever we got to do at the doctor's office. Then we went to Billy's Gator Burger, okay? It's this place in, in McMinnville. They make great, they made great hamburgers, but their breakfast was really good too. And our, our, our appointment was always in the morning. And our plans that day, like every other day, was we were going to go to this appointment. And then we were going to go to Billy's Gator Burger and we were going to eat breakfast. And then I was going to go to work. That was the plan, okay? While people are saying peace and safety, basically what he's saying is while people are going on and just living their life, doing their thing, going about, they're not expecting anything. He said destruction will come suddenly to them as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So that that particular day, um, this is six weeks or so before Collins is due. Six weeks before Collins is due. We go to the doctor that day, and the doctor just does this because Blair's a little anxious about it, and he goes, I'm just going to send you over to the hospital and let them do some blood work over there. And so, okay, we'll push breakfast back a little bit. No big deal. We get over there, and all of her labs come back, and we've still not heard anything from the doctor. And the nurse looks at us and goes, we have not heard anything from Dr. Watlington, but I've never seen anyone's labs look like this and not have the baby that day. They said, so if you want to just go ahead and call a few people, you can let them know you're probably going to have a baby. And then Dr. Watlington comes in and goes, hey, we're having a baby. Let's go. And I mean, what, Blair? 30 minutes later, we had a baby? Like, not prepared whatsoever. Not pre- so unprepared for a preemie baby, that later that night, I had to go to Walmart and buy clothes for the baby. Now, we've had three kids since then. Eight weeks before the kid got here, the bags are packed and in the car. I was ready after that, ready for every one of them. All you new dads, the babies are coming in the next eight weeks, get ready today. You're not ready get ready. But the idea is this, we weren't expecting it. We weren't prepared. And he says, the coming of Jesus is going to be that way. So what do you do? You live prepared. You live your life as if this is the day that Jesus is going to come back. Because there's going to be some people who are living their life and that have said their whole life, Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Get out of my life. If you go a few chapters over into Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this, he goes, to God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who uh, trouble you and grieve or give, give relief. I'm sorry. God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled as to us as well. This will happen when uh, the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is Second Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 8. There will be people that have said their whole life, God, get out of my life. I don't want to have anything to do with you. On the day of judgment, when they're not ready for him to come back, he's going to say, I'm going to give you exactly what you've wanted your whole life. I'm not going to be a part of it. We're separated for the rest of eternity. And that is a scary thing, and that is a sad thing, and that is something that, um, that we should think about because the other side is this. Well, I'll get back to it. Okay, the other side is this. But you, brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? If you're a Christian this morning, he's talking to you right here, okay? But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, And children of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. 
So what is he telling us? Is he saying, hey, look, we're going to be okay. So the last idea here is we must live self-controlled, faithful, loving, and hopeful lives. So let's keep reading our section here, starting in verse 6. So then, we've got all this kind of figured out. Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you're a Christian, this moment when time ends is not a moment of suffering. It's not a moment of wrath. It is a moment of joy. It is a moment of salvation. It is a moment of excitement. It is a moment that you've been waiting for and that you are prepared for. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And here it is again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you were doing. So we have a certain way we have to live. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We've been talking about living this certain life. And why is it so important? Why is it so important that we live a discipleship lifestyle? Because that is what prepares us for this moment. If we're not living a discipleship lifestyle, you following me? If we are not living, if you are not living a discipleship lifestyle, you are not preparing yourself for this moment. This moment of preparation is more than just about going to church. It's more than just about getting the acts of worship right. It's more than about just, just you know, knowing certain scriptures and knowing how to argue this point and that point. It is a lifestyle of love. Go back and look at what he, what he says. He goes, you need to live a sober life, meaning not letting anything distract you, not let anything pull you away. He says, put on faith and love. He said, you should be defined by these things. Okay. You should be defined by your faith and people should look at you and not see aggravation and frustration. They should look at you and see a loving individual. He says, be this way because he didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but this salvation. So we need to prepare for this moment. So to live with the end in view means we must encourage each other. We must encourage each other. Let me ask you this morning, are you an encourager? Think about your life for a moment. Are you an encourager? That's an important question that you need to ask yourself this morning. Because he says we have to be. We have to be encouraging people. We have to be encouraging people. People. That's the whole reason for this section. This section isn't meant to scare us. This section isn't meant to, to bring fear into our life. This section is meant to encourage us in our life to say, hey, I've done what I need to do, and this is the reward that I have waiting for me in this moment. I am prepared for this. That's why he ends, therefore, encourage one another with these words. How often... Do you encourage your brothers and sisters? How often do you take a moment and, and just let people know, hey, I appreciate you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for living this life. And, and, and if they're living in an opposite direction, how often do you sit down and say, hey, look, I, I just want to love you and share with you some encouraging thoughts that will hopefully bring you back into a positive way. You see, we have a mission. That's the last thing I want to put up here. 
we have a mission, a mission of making disciples of all nations. And most people don't care about our mission. They care about our what? Our love. They care about our love. Most people outside of this room in our community could care less what our mission is from Jesus. Because they're not a child of God. And if they're not a child of God, why would they care about things of Jesus? But you know what they will care about? You know what will get their attention? You know what will get them to walk through these doors? It's how you love them. It's how you encourage them. It's how you show them Jesus in every aspect of your life by not being negative, by not being a downer, but being an encourager, someone who is known as building other people up. And as Christians, that has to be the type of life we live. Nothing in between. There's nothing gray about that. We have to be loving, holy-filled, Jesus-filled, Holy Spirit-inspired, loving people. And everybody needs to see that. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have times where we struggle. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have times where we're not frustrated. But we deal with those struggles and those frustratings in loving and encouraging ways, not gropping and complaining ways, because people don't care about our mission if they see us. They're not going to care about anything if they see us gropping and complaining. They're going to say, hey, they're no different than everybody else. Why do I want to be a part of that? Just such a powerful end. Therefore, encourage one another. And build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. That's the end. And in the middle, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what we've got to be about. Why? Because there's going to come a time where time doesn't exist. And we've got to be ready for that. We've got to be prepared for that. We've got to, we, we, we've got to, man, we, we've, we've got to live it until that moment. I think some of us in our lives have been guilty of thinking that we've got our fire insurance because we're in the church pew, but we're not living it as, as we walk out the door. Okay, this isn't about fire insurance. This is about a lifestyle that prepares us for the judgment of God. And it, can, it, it should be an encouraging thing, but, but it also should be a motivating thing. So I want you to think about that this morning. As we bring our thoughts to an end, let's, let's, let's close. Let's close with a word of prayer this morning. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just be in your presence and to think about your words this morning of the coming of Jesus, God. I, I want us to find hope in this. I want us to find peace in this. I want us to find encouragement in this, God, because that's what you want from this. That's why your Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words was so that we could be encouraged and help us to be encouraged as we walk out today. Help us to be motivated to live in that direction of preparing ourselves for your return and living the mission every single day as we encourage others as well. God, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. And as we talked about last week, God, there, there, there are those that, that are not prepared to meet you on this day that will suffer the wrath of your judgment. And God, our prayer is for them, that you will touch their hearts, that you will touch their souls, that you will convict their spirits, that you will help them obey the simple words of he that believes and is baptized will be saved so that they can have this inheritance that all of the rest of us Christians are looking forward to. 
God, for those that are struggling in their walk, who are controlled by the things of this world, help them to reassess, to look back at the most basic and important things and to refocus on you so that they themselves will be prepared for this moment. Help us to encourage both of those groups of people to make their life about you and you only. We thank you so much for this time together, God. May we be encouraged as we leave. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ, caring for its community. Yeah.